Dr. Tanya DeMello is a human rights lawyer as well as the Assistant Dean of Student Programming, Development and Equity at Ryerson University's Faculty of Law. Tanya joins us to talk about the concept of inclusion. She takes this sometimes misunderstood concept and breaks it down into tangible strategies that managers can employ to raise the level of inclusiveness amongst their team members as well as the other stakeholder groups that they work with. It's a really interesting talk, so you should definitely check it out. Welcome to My Lemonade Stand. I'm really excited because we have a really interesting guest here today at My Lemonade Stand, and it's Dr. Tanya DeMello, who goes by the name Tony. So Tanya is an equity, diversity, and inclusion expert who is also a human rights lawyer. Currently, Tony is the Assistant Dean for Student Programming Development and Equity at Ryerson University's Faculty of Law. And Tony is a very popular speaker and workshop leader because she has a gift for taking very complex topics and making it very easy for us to understand. And today we are tackling one of those complex topics, which is our unconscious bias and how that plays into our effectiveness as business people and especially as managers. So welcome, Tony. Happy to have you today. Thank you. It's great to be here. So I think this is definitely one of those topics where people get it conceptually, but not really how it plays into our day-to-day lives. So I know that you've shared with me the fact that, you know, bias is just something that we live with and we all have biases, correct? Absolutely. Including me. So I've been doing this work for 25 years. I'm a lot older than I look. And I will tell you that I do it. I work with companies and organizations to try to make them more inclusive. I'm consciously checking myself and I continue to have these biases. We all have them. Right. So I guess it's fine for us to have biases because that's human. And really the issue comes into play where our biases are leading us to behave in a way that we don't want to. Right? And we're absolutely. And worse yet, it's more that if you're not conscious of your biases, then you think that you love everybody, that you don't have a problem with anybody. You hire everybody and you don't realize that you might be doing things systematically that are excluding certain people. And a way I ask people to think about it is think about the neighborhood you live in in the city. Who's in that neighborhood? What do they have in common? Mm -hmm. Who's never in your neighborhood? Where do you go to eat? Who's in your book club? Who's on your soccer or hockey team? Try to get a sense of who's in your in-group to know Who do you have very little contact with? It doesn't mean you necessarily have a problem with that group, but it can start to let you know that you kind of gravitate towards certain groups more than others, right? So even Dion, I think of the first conversation we had, it was like fire. It was easy. We had a lot of common interests. We had some similar backgrounds. We do similar work. So there was like a connection very quickly, which made me think, well, that's one of my people, right? And you may be right about that, but the challenge is you might be missing out on a lot of people that could be in that group that could add both something to your life and to your professional work experience that you never considered. Correct. Because we do, we naturally gravitate towards people where there's similarities, as you just described, like we're tribe members because of some of the similarities that we have. But um, again, being aware of those other people who might not be an immediate fit, but there's a lot of value there. So I guess one of my questions would be, what are we missing out on? Like by by not being aware of these biases and, choo- and, and not addressing them, what are we missing out on as professionals in terms of business value, being more effective leaders and so forth? What's the issue? You know, it's so powerful. You've said already you've spurred so much in me. The first thing I'd say is even that word fit. What does it mean to fit? So my PhD was looking at hiring in Toronto in the legal community um, of people. And I was looking at the interview 
um, and the interview of fit. When we say Dion would be a great fit for our company, she'd be a great fit for our team. And I was asking who fits and who doesn't. And because of the way we do these kind of fit tests of, did I like them? What do you do on the weekend? Uh, what do you like at a dinner party? We end up hiring people that fit with us, that we think are fun, interesting, but we're not necessarily hiring based on their skills and competencies. So what you're actually missing is an incredible amount of talent that's out there because the ways in which we're measuring that talent is wrong to begin with. So even when I'm being asked to do a presentation, I'll give people a package of testimonials of my speeches. I'll give them a link to speeches so they can hear me. All of the things you'd need to know to know my skills. And people will still say, can we have a quick meeting? And the reason they're doing that is they want to have a 20-minute meeting so they can get a sense of me to see if I click and if I'm a fit. It's almost like we joke about it that it's it's like online dating or speed dating, where you're trying to see you know the interests and what that person's like and how they would work a room. And that's not necessarily what they need to do their job. So what I think we're missing, Dion, is a group of talented people that don't always fit. They might not fit culturally, socioeconomically. They might not be in our gender group, like we're talking about hockey or soccer or baseball, and they're not talking about that. We're talking about going to cottages in Muskoka, and that's not their experience. And you end up actually missing on great talent because of it. Right. And also because I know in particular things that we've seen publicly where like sometimes you see these ads going, getting published and immediately, as soon as it goes out into the public, people are like, oh my gosh, you know, that's racist or that's a gender bias or whatever. And you wonder how is it that all of those people were able to review it and nobody noticed that yet within seconds of it becoming public, everybody just clicked on it right away. Right. So wouldn't you say that that's probably the result of having too many people with the same opinion and the same background? You've used such a beautiful example. I remember, I can't remember what store it was, but they had a picture of a young black boy in a shirt that said monkey on it. Benetton. Was it Benetton? And mm-hmm. I, what I couldn't believe was, it's exactly what you say. Isn't that a communications team and media team did that? But how many people saw it that didn't make a connection that you don't want to put the word monkey on the shirt of a young black boy? Right. Mm-hmm. And the minute it came out, it was it was horrific, actually. And and they would argue we never thought about it. We would have put any kid in that shirt. But to not make that connection means you're not actually intentional about the work you're doing around that issue of race. Right. And specifically anti-black racism. And so I think we're seeing that more and more. I've seen a couple of um, law firms. I've seen a couple of big businesses in hot water because they put something out that to the community that's that's seeing it is so tone deaf that it shows not only do you not have the expertise, but you have nobody from those communities on your team. And so what I love that you phrased, Dion, is that you actually have too many people that are either from the same ilk or from the same background. You don't have diversity to be representative of what's actually out there, right? So a huge business loss, I think. Yes, especially because you're probably targeting those clients as well. And, you know, again, and even like those are big, but I, I also shared a story um, about even being a little girl, and you might remember this, I don't know, but like banks used to always publish calendars every year and it was whatever you, you got it in December and you flip through to see, you know, every month and they had these family pictures and these fun pictures. And I remember being a little girl and sometimes like there was absolutely no pictures of any family or any individual that looked like me. And immediately for me, that was kind of a, 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 a subtle message to say, oh, you're not really in the target group for us. Like, that's the message. Um, don't think that that was the intention. But these are the subconscious messages that we get when you have groups that are completely excluded, right? Absolutely. And I want to say, quite honestly, that I wouldn't say that that's from when I was a kid. I see that today. 
You know, if people are not intentional, it ends up becoming one group and a dominant group. And I've seen that over and over again, and we have to be so careful about it. If you think of everything from movies to music videos, who's represented and who's always left out. Um, not only have I felt that I don't see pictures of myself and things like bank calendars, but if you go into a boardroom and you see who the past board chairs were, if you go into university and you see the pictures of the past university presidents, if I look as a nation in Canada, at the past prime ministers, I don't see anybody like me, right? And now you have a racialized man that's running for a major political party since the last two elections federally, but we haven't had a woman elected ever in Canada. And for those of you out there who are dying to say, Kim Campbell, Kim Campbell, she wasn't elected. We've never had a female. So you don't see yourself represented as a racialized person, as a woman, as a racialized woman, for you as a black woman, not just in these ads, but in actual leadership. So I think it trickles down to the work that we're doing and we're talking about today here that we have to diversify what our leadership looks like so that people can see themselves. One of the most powerful things somebody said to me when I was saying when Barack Obama got elected, I said to see a black man president is going to be so transformative. And somebody said to me, it was a black woman. And she said, you know, it's funny. I don't think people find it impossible to think of a black man in office. We think of King. We think of, you know, Malcolm X. We think of these black male leaders. But to see two little black girls grow up in the White House mm -hmm. is something that little black kids will not have seen. To see two young black kids grow up there in the most important office in our country will change the way little black kids see themselves. And I think that's where we have to start thinking, not just the ads, but our actual offices and who's up on our walls. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because um, like my my son was born the year after um, Barack Obama was was um, what do you call it? Elected president. Yes. So it's so funny because I think of the comparison where for him, that was normal. Like, like that's just how it was. And then, you know, then there was somebody else after, but there was nothing transformative about it, which I thought, which I think is great because it was just something that was very normal. Oh yeah. Barack Obama was the president of the United States. So yes, it does make a very big difference. And it also makes a very big difference in terms of like you were alluding to what people think is possible for them, because there are people who, when they don't see themselves reflected, there are all kinds of assumptions that they make about the fact, well, that's probably just not for somebody like me. So that's definitely a very big factor that it plays as well. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's interesting. So you've made me think of two things. The first thing is I had a friend who took her son to a party and he met a friend of hers who's a doctor, a man that's a doctor. And he looked at his mom and he said, mommy, boys can be doctors because he's only ever had female doctors. And I thought, wow, it's similar to what you just said for your son. It's if the, yeah. it's a new reality. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is we really have to think about what people think they can be and what's open to them. And what I've started to see in businesses that is extremely helpful is job ads that say we are recruiting people that have not been represented. So instead of, it's not saying we're not taking everybody, it's saying we haven't represented you. And ads that say we are looking for racialized people. We're looking for folks with talent that have disabilities that identify as LGBTQ2SI+, women, mature people, things that haven't been represented start to call to people of, you have a chance here. You could get in where you couldn't get in before. Where we saw statistics, if we look at just women, if 50 years ago, somebody said, but we just don't have women in the pipeline. There's no women that have the talent. You would never say that now. So likewise, I can't say that it's always the pipeline. It's that they don't know that they're welcome, as you're saying. They don't know they have a shot at it. And so when we say as companies in our job description, we are looking to communities that we have not previously had represented. We want you. You are welcome here. It changes the dialogue and it has people think that they could get in.
right? The fact that I've worked with over 1,500 companies and I can count on one hand the number of Indigenous or Black CEOs doesn't tell me we don't have the talent. It tells me we're blocking the talent, mm-hmm. right? Similar to women, there's no way now you have so many women in the workforce, you can see that talent. I feel the same way about racialized Black and Indigenous. Once we see the more and more of them come in, we're going to start realizing that we've been blocking that talent, that it was always there. Right. And definitely in terms of having that talent to have an opportunity to shine and uh, and have that platform, but also in terms of from a business perspective, like even when you talk about things like innovation and having good decision making, like having those diverse um, opinions there so that it's not everybody who kind of went to the same types of schools, live in the same neighborhoods as you had described, had the same sorts of professional experiences, and then they're all in the room and they kind of all agree with each other. Having people who have completely different experiences, completely different perspectives, constructive, and then getting together. And that's where you get those innovative ideas and creative and where people are challenged to push themselves. So that's the other opportunity as well in terms of better decision making, better products and so forth. Listen, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm going to say that and Mm -hmm. so, yes, all of the data shows you will have better products. They will serve more markets. You have more innovative thinking. You actually, by the way, have more conflict. People think that it's like happier and we sit around holding hands and singing Kumbaya. But if people are actually bringing their whole selves to work and bringing lived experiences and identities that are different, we're going to clash. You and I are not going to agree on everything. Mm -hmm. So I agree with all of that. And there's a business reason for a bottom line profit that you want to have diversity. And I also think we want to have black, brown and indigenous people because people have a right to work in something that is meaningful for them. There is a dignity about that, that even if you and I have the same ideas, I want you there because you deserve to be in the room. You have talents, you have skills, you have gifts. And so for me, there's a dignity argument of, you know, I remember I wrote a paper in undergrad and it was called need a doctor, call a taxi, the problem of underemployment in Ontario. And we have all of these highly skilled people that are driving taxis that have to own their own corner stores because they can't get work. And so whether or not the reason is my bottom line doubles, Mm -hmm. I think every person has a right to dignified, meaningful work. And to keep that from somebody, I think is also, it's, 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 it's the wrong thing to do. Absolutely. So then, so you're, I'm a manager like what sorts of things can I be doing to be able to kind of overcome these? Cause these are kind of natural patterns that we have, right? So we have to be conscious and intentional about making changes. So what are the sorts of things that I could do as a business person to start making these changes? So I generally say three things. One is the education piece, the awareness piece, which you're doing today. So if you're watching this, watching things, watching TED Talks, reading articles, talking to counterparts about things they've read, heard, or what's worked. Increasing your level of knowledge and awareness is helpful because most of us don't even think we have bias. Mm -hmm. So I do these sessions and by the end, people say, you know what, Tony, before your session, I wouldn't have even admitted that I had a bias. I thought I treated every... So if you're not even aware of it, you're not going to be able to tackle it. So you have to do the education part. But if you only do that, nothing will change. You need to do education and you need to start making commitments of what do I want to do and how can I get there? Set goals, set actions for those goals, set accountability, who's going to be accountable, set if they're long or short term, and then evaluate how would I know if it's successful? So you have to actually make these commitments and do the work. And then the third piece I say is very often people stop at recruitment. We need to have some Black people. We have nobody with a disability. We need an Indigenous blah, blah. And yes, 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 more representation is better. I think we need those people there. 
But it's not just about recruitment. For me, it's about what happens when they come in. For me, the biggest indicator of success in this work for you as a manager is whether they want to stay, not whether they do stay, whether they want to stay. And that is defined other than salary and location. So I'm not moving for a $500 raise. I'm not moving to another job that's in Calgary. I live in Toronto. My family's here. My home is here. But other than salary and location, the single most important factor of whether or not I stay in my organization or go to a competitor is sense of belonging. Am I seen here? Am I heard here? Do I matter as a person? So I want you folks as managers to stay away from just thinking about recruitment. Please think about it. Please, please, please. But recruitment is also about how do we retain folks? How do we make them excited to come in on Monday? How do we have it so that they're not dreading the week and praying for when, uh, Friday, right? We want to have a space where when people come into the office, they feel like they're treated with dignity. Mm-hmm. And that they love their work, right? And that comes from that deep sense of belonging that I just didn't bring you in on a whim or because I have to, but because you, Dion, add value here and you matter here. Yeah. So I guess it's about the engagement piece, right? So it's about in meeting, making sure that that voices are heard around the table, that ideas are tabled, that your that your input is meaningful and valued, as opposed to like you said, it just being a, a tick box, right? Absolutely. And especially things like, you know, we have something called credit deferral, which is Dion has an idea, you know, Max adds to the idea and now it's Max's idea. So not just making sure ideas are heard, but that we say, Dion, that was your idea. Let's come back to it. We've added a lot to it. Have we on so that you are then linked to your ideas. Very often we see racialized and especially black and indigenous folks come up with ideas. They're at the table and they don't get credit for them. So how do you move up if nobody knows it was yours? Mm -hmm. But we need to notice who's in the room. We need to make sure they're heard. One thing I've seen happen that's really powerful is on Zoom, instead of people just unmuting, we see when people just unmute, the dynamics that happen in a boardroom happen on Zoom. So certain communities are much more likely to unmute, much more likely to take up 50% of the time. I'm one of them. Generally, it's (laughs) folks from dominant groups, like white, straight men, but I'm one of them, for example. So now there's been new tactics of what does it look like to ask people to raise their hands? and take people in order versus people just unmuting. What does it look like to go around the table and say, we're gonna start with you, Dion, what are your thoughts? And you can pass, but getting people to speak that didn't traditionally so that they're noticed, heard and highlighted. Right, because you always have your extroverts, right? Who are very happy to jump in and aren't afraid of, you know, maybe saying something that might not be, um, you know what I mean? People might not like, whereas there are other people who are much more reserved and it's like, okay, I don't know if it's okay for me to say this. Yeah. So yes, that's definitely good in terms of going because I've I've seen that as well, going around the table and just asking everybody for their input. And like you said, if you don't have anything, you can just pass, but you have that the floor for a moment of time and it's your time to kind of say whatever you want to say. Another thing I've seen someone do before as well is intentionally go to tradi- non-traditional places to look for when they're hiring to look for applicants, like reaching out deep into their network, as opposed to normally, you know, you post it and then it's the usual suspects. If it's a large organization within the organization is probably where you're going to get the majority of people applying. And then, you know, friends of friends. So that's another um, thing that I've seen used before as well to kind of reach further out in terms of looking for candidates. I think that's excellent. And to not just do it uh, in terms of your network, but start looking. So if I can use the legal industry, for example, mm-hmm. to go to the Canadian Association of Black Lawyers, CABLE, mm-hmm. to the South Asian Black Lawyers, uh, South Asian uh, Lawyers, right, SABA, figuring out ways that you are actually reaching out to communities of support 
communities in the area that might not even be in your networks. And I would go further than that. I love the idea of the outreach, starting developing relationships with those groups. Because to be honest, we reach out to them, they apply and they don't get in. And that's even more demoralizing. What does it look like for me to have a presence with those groups that they know me, that we might sponsor an event, we're present for their events so that they say, oh, I met Tony. When I apply, I'm going to send her an email. We know that's how it works in business. So what does it look like to develop something meaningful with those communities so that they see themselves there and that when they come, they know you and you know them already? Right. The whole relationship building and becoming part of a business network. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's really, that's really good. Um, And then I was going to ask you, just because I know that this is your space and you do a lot of work in it. What have you seen like over the last few years? Because it feels like things are moving. But as an insider, I just wanted to get a sense from you. If you see things, you know, moving towards the better, you see us making some progress. You know, yes and no. So absolutely, I've seen massive progress. I think I struggle with speed. Hmm. So we still operate in very performative ways because we don't even think we have bias. So people will say to me, Tony, I don't even see color. I'm colorblind. You know, and if it's a friend's parent, I always used to say, would you see my race or my color if I dated your son or your daughter? Would you see my race if my parents or I moved in next door, right? We have to stop pretending that we don't see this stuff, that we don't have these biases. People notice my glasses. I don't believe they don't notice my skin, right? Mm -hmm. So that's part of the challenge. So what I've seen that's a movement is people wanting to increase their awareness. What I've seen as a movement is actual targets, both pushed from exterior as well as companies pushing themselves, so the pull to do the right thing, to hire racialized people, women, you know, folks with disabilities, groups that have been underrepresented. I have seen numbers go up. What I want to see more of is a commitment to the why. So I'll have CEOs meet with me and say, I want to hire more Black people. And I say, why? Mm-hmm. And they're like, what do you mean, why? Of course, everybody wants that. I was like, but why do you want it? And it goes back to what I was saying about how we retain people and how we treat them when they come. If you are doing it because this is the new thing to do, those people are going to have a terrible experience in your organization. Ask yourself the why, and you've given some whys. It adds to our diversity. It adds to our thinking. Different views will help us serve different clients. Have a reason that motivates you that will bring in those talents and help them shine. Because if you're doing it in a performative way, you will treat those people in a performative way, and it feels awful. Well, it's also because then the goal is done. Like Once you hire them, essentially the goal is done, so there isn't really anything more to do. Right. So this is where you talk about when you have that more, it's about inclusion, it's about engagement, then that's not the end of the story. That's the beginning of the story when you hire them. And then there's all of these other, um, you know, levers that you can pull and engagement opportunities that you can have to really be able to develop the individuals and, and, and get the best out of them. Right. Absolutely. And, and you've said it. It's not just about we want to bring them in for inclusion. We want their talents. Mm-hmm. I want their skills. When I talked to you on the phone after 20 minutes, I was like, this is somebody I want in my network because of her depth of understanding, the way in which you communicate. I think the first time I talked to you, you gave me a pitch in five minutes and I can't do that about my lunch. (laughs) And I thought, this is somebody with an actual skill set that is extremely important in the workplace that I could learn from and that I will learn from. And so to even get it away from inclusion and making it about these are skills and competencies that are going to really change the workplace for the better. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I have to say, because the way that I learned about you is a colleague of mine, Anne Wright, and she just could not stop talking about what an amazing job you did with their organization. And um, she can't wait for you guys to come for you to come back. So it was like, okay, immediately it was like, okay, 
So I need you to send an email and I need you to introduce us so that we could then take it to the the next level in terms of, you know, building the relationship, definitely having this conversation and beyond. So we'll see where it goes after that as well. So this was great. So I really do appreciate your time. Um, Really great nuggets. And again, because I really do think that often we we talk about these concepts as concepts. And really getting into the meat of it. And I'm talking about it from, you talked about um, the this topic about come, get, overcoming our biases as being part of first a human thing in terms of just inclusiveness and the fact that having people have equal opportunities, um, you know, to, to work in meaning, do meaningful work, I think is the term that you used. Um, and as well, just the business opportunity that you're missing out on as well and the diversity of ideas and thoughts and so forth. So there's just so many um, wins and definitely. So I think that what you said is you start as a manager, it's educating yourself. So first of all, being aware, listening to things like this, their books, their other, um, there's other material. I know that you have a lot of talks um, on this topic as well. Then setting um, real goals about um, making changes and making it tangible. And I think the third one that you said was about, um, this was about, sorry? Bringing the people in and supporting them once they're there. Yes, the inclusion part. Yes. So making people not just get hired, but get hired, have a great experience and want to stay and to contribute to the organization as well. So yes, great, great value. So thanks so much, Tony. And looking forward to talking to you again. Thank you for these talks and thank you for putting it all together, Dion. We appreciate it. Thank you. If you enjoyed that interview, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, My Lemonade Stand. You can also stream it off of your favorite podcast streaming platform. Looking forward to seeing you next time.